Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member, thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Josh Felser, co-founder of Freestyle Capital. I was excited for this one as Josh is a very successful entrepreneur and venture capitalist. He co-founded Spinner and Grouper slash Crackle, which were acquired by AOL, Time Warner, and Sony for $320 million and $65 million respectively. And then he spent the last many years at Freestyle Capital, where he's invested in a bunch of successful technology companies that you would know. But recently, I read this article called Why Josh Felser Left the VC Firm He Started to Try to Save the Planet. So I dug in and also had the good fortune to be introduced to Josh. And what I found was someone who, while they were further along in their journey than me on the technology side, had come to some of the same realizations that I had about the importance of climate change and, like me, was finding it increasingly difficult to focus on anything that was not that. So just a few months ago, Josh pulled the plug, came in to focus on climate change, and has spent the last few months figuring out what to do. So he's early on his journey, like me, far from an expert. But for anyone out there in this audience, and I know there's a bunch of you who are trying to figure out what role you can play in the climate fight and how to make the transition yourselves, I thought it would be interesting to bring someone on like Josh, who is quite accomplished and a few months now down the path of that journey to see how it's going, what some of the key learnings are so far, and what advice he might have for other people who are feeling like he was as they start to think about making that transition and finding a way to combine their livelihood with this important existential crisis. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's like to be here. It's like to have you. It's kind of a weird one because in, I think it was late 2018 is when I first started heading this way. And, and it's, it seems like you've been focused in this area, at least with part of your time for a lot longer than that. But then it was more recently than that, that you kind of picked your head up full time and ripped the bandaid to go follow a similar path. But we really haven't had a chance to compare notes. So we're, we're doing it live. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm just so glad you're doing this because it does the adding emotion to this process is such an important part of 
helping people wake up. You know, it's not just a, yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data and science and modeling behind all of this, but to actually share the stories of the people who are jumping into helping to green the earth, I think is an important part of it. And maybe it helps other people cross over to the space. Totally. Yeah. I mean, as we're talking today, I mean, you can kind of the muse of those, I mean, there'll be lots of different kinds of listeners, but the muse is like you before you rip the bandaid essentially. So anyone that's listening and that's in those shoes, Hopefully, you know, some portion of them will actually get the inspiration they need to push them over the edge and, and take the leap after listening to this discussion. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I um, because I, I'm on Twitter a lot and I and because I've been in general tech for a while as a founder and as an investor, it started in a really positive way. It didn't take much, right? People are are now more awake to the to what they're experiencing in their everyday lives. I guess they can't in the past, it's been easier to put it off and say, oh, someday maybe I'll do this. Someday maybe I can jump in. And now we're seeing the impact on our everyday lives. And I think it's especially in the Bay Area with our, the wildfire challenge we've had. It's people are ripe for it. And we need this talent focused on climate. We need this savvy, experienced tech talent in product and marketing and engineering and even founders to focus on climate if we're going to win. And I'm curious, when did you first start being aware of and being concerned about this stuff? I mean, was it kind of a recent occurrence or was it way back in early childhood? Or I guess maybe just give us a peek into the Wayback Machine. Yeah, I was kind of clueless as a, as a kid about anything of like substance. I just was lucky to have a pretty decent middle-class life. And I can remember back to exactly what happens, right? It wasn't, it wasn't gradual. It was, it was reading back when we called it global warming. It was reading McKibben's Global Warming's Terrifying New Math article in the Rolling Stone. It was 2012. And I was in the music business with my first startup, so I would just read the Rolling Stone for that. And all of a sudden, I'm reading it, and I read this article, and it, and it just it shook me. I had no idea what we were up against. Just some of the numbers that he threw around finally made sense to me. How many gigatons of CO2 we could handle before we exceeded two degrees, and how much there was in the ground, and how incented the fossil fuel companies were to extract it. Just all the incentives were wrong and that it felt like if we all didn't rise up and do something, then we were going to be in really deep trouble. And so that's kind of how it started. I reached out to Bill. Somehow he responded and he agreed to come to San Francisco and do a salon at Twitter. I was friends with Dick Koslow, who was the CEO at the time. And we did this salon on Twitter and I was like, amazing. Everybody see this? Bill's talking. He's, he's really impressive and powerful and knows. And nobody in tech cared. It was amazing. Like no one. So I went around trying to get people interested in joining me and trying to at least figure out what we could do. And Twitter did a survey of its employees on the causes that were most important to them. And climate was seventh. Wow. Seventh. So I kind of went this nonprofit route and I started this organization called Hashtag Climate, which was really a simple app designed to help nonprofits more easily activate their most important followers to share on social media, share action on social media, and then manage them. And so it, it, we launched it. The NBA was a partner. Guns N' Roses was a partner, which was kind of crazy. And it was a, a great experience. We had some impact, but it just wasn't, it was on the edge. Like it wasn't going to make a difference. And nonprofits, the work they do is important, but the nonprofit approach is also not going to be the driver behind what we need. And so I kind of gave up. 
When, what year was this that this was occurring? Probably like 2014. I kind of, so in 2013, I started the, I built hashtag climate and it's still up. The app doesn't work anymore, but the site is still up. And, but then 2014, I kind of gave up. I just couldn't get people interested. I, I tried. I went back to being a general tech investor until recently. So what happened between 2014 and 2020 that led to a change of heart? I mean, a bunch of stars had to align for me to be doing what I'm doing now. Certainly, there's a lot more tension on, on the danger associated with climate change. And I think living here in the Bay Area and experiencing the devastation of the wildfires every year, most of us experience the smoke. But then reading about how people's lives were ruined from destruction of these wildfires, that I guess, and, and I'm from Miami too, so I got to experience the double whammy of like more frequent, more powerful hurricanes in, in South Florida. We'll have to come back to that because you had a tweet about about South Florida, which I want to talk about. Just remind my brother, my brother-in-law is the mayor of Miami Beach, so we can come. We'll come back. Oh wow! To yeah. Timely. So, so I, I kind of experienced what was happening in the in the world. I got to personally experience it. I started a uh, help start a task force for the state of California, focusing on private company solutions to the challenges from COVID. And I did it with Bill Trenchard, and we worked with the the CIO of the state and. It was pretty amazing to actually be able to dig in and see how quickly the state was was looking for private company help to solve some of these problems. And we worked on supply, food supply chain stuff and mental health and track and trace and all the usual. But it just more importantly, it kind of opened me up to impact and to the impact that I might be able to have and how important it is. And so kind of that happened. And so I took four months off of freestyle just to work on this task force. And Bill did the same for first round. And was that at the time, were you still thinking that you would take four months off and then go back to being a general technology VC? Totally. totally. I mean, Bill and I spent more time with each other in that four month period than we did with our partners. So that kind of opened, opened my eyes more. And then- Let, Just a quick aside, but I love Bill, by the way. So I just want to say that publicly. Good. I do too. Um, and then having been at Freestyle for 10 years- you know, it was kind of time for a change. I mean, I'd been doing general tech investing for 10 years and I appreciated the importance of the next B2B sales support software, but I'd already started to shift within freestyle to mostly to the circular economy and mental health and sleep. And I'd already started switching from what the typical kind of B2B SaaS investing to kind of this new world. And so it also, it I saw how passionate I was about it. So 10 years of freestyle, we're about to start investing Fund 5. I get religion from working on this task force for the state. And then I just, I, I felt I had to do something, at least whatever I could. I had to join the battle because it's going to take every single one of us. And, and then I also got religion around the opportunity, which is these dual opportunities to both build the next wave of billion dollar company and green the earth and that those things are not in conflict anymore, right? So that all happened at the same time. And here I am. So given that you got a taste of impact through your COVID work, and given that you, I mean, you mentioned mental health and sleep and, and some of these other areas that are maybe more important to overall well-being than some other typical enterprise things, why climate at that point? How, how did you lock in on climate and, and what, what led you to that focus? It was area? easy. <laughs> climate, change, climate change makes everything worse. Everything. 
poor mental health, poor physical health. It goes after lower income folks more. So it increases disparity. I mean, it really is the cause of causes in our, I think in our lifetimes. And so rather than like focus in on one of these other smaller areas, I just felt like, why not go after the thing that's going to create, make everything worse in the world if we don't fix it. And what were the timelines here, given that we're sitting in December of 2020, these fun five discussions, what, when was that? So that happened in, uh, it's, we started talking about it in May, May, June of this year. And then it just, I guess I, so I'm still a board partner at Freestyle, still manage all my portfolio companies and, and I'm responsible for them. But I kind of, I started full time in August. I didn't really take a break. COVID is just a weird, we're all working hard. We're all taking a break. It's just a weird time. Days flow and, you know, weekends flow into weekdays. And, and so it didn't feel like I needed a break. I kind of went right in. And so I kind of, I feel like I started out <laughs> when I jumped in in August, I feel like, I felt like I was in third grade. And when you made that decision that you were not going to pursue being part of Fund 5 as a full partner and that you were going to point in the climate direction, what is it that you thought you were actually going to do at that time? And what process did you think you were going to follow to figure it out? I had no idea. To be honest, I just knew I had to do it. And that whatever I tried to figure out in advance before actually you know, like entrepreneurs, we we don't we we just jump in and we start figuring things out by doing, right? That's kind of how at least I was an, as an entrepreneur. And me doing is talking with everyone, reading for sure, but talking with founders and investors. And it's kind of like today's climate world is kind of like the internet in the late '90s, where everyone's collaborative and open and seeking to help each other. And so I found this this you know a really willing kind of community. And, and it allowed me to get up to speed way faster than I would have otherwise. I certainly felt like I'd be focusing on software forward companies, companies that help that use software to make hardware smart versus going into deep tech. You know, anything that where R&D was part of the due diligence was probably not a great way for me to jump in. And it's been what, three or four months yeah, now? Yeah. I'm in seventh grade. And tell me about that process. What kinds of things have you been looking at? What's your approach been like? What are some of the key learnings along the way? Any any color to just kind of paint the picture of what do those first few months look like, at least for you, entering this brave new world? Well, like you and and others of us that have been fortunate to have built networks and success, kind of saying we're a little older. So it makes it easier for us to do something new because we have a network of folks to draw on to learn. And so I, I feel like I've been so lucky to have a, a large a network of folks that have been introducing me and teaching me. And so, man, so I've everything, a lot of what I've learned, it's just table stakes for everybody already in the industry. So I don't know if think I'll rehash that. Some of the things that I've learned that have been interesting, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's frustrations or, or, like software is still kind of the redheaded stepchild of climate. It's interesting. So much of the attention's on the deep tech. And for reasons I understand, you know, it's a multi-decade impact. But the thing that I'm trying to make sense of is, so 
there are all these lists of impactful paths. And what I find that isn't done enough is applying a probability that that path will be successful, given all that it has to go through. You know, it, every company has to get everything right to be massively successful. And so fusion may be the savior of humanity. It may be. But the probability that it is is very low because it's really hard. So I try and look at, when I look at all the different ways that startups can have impact, I also look at, well, how hard is this path going to be? How likely is it they will be successful? And then when you when you add that into it, there's some unlikely categories that emerge that haven't gotten the attention that they should have. Just within the climate banner, like, hey, if we just convince five people to rent the same object versus buying five new objects, that has a powerful impact. And I can totally see the path to making that happen. But that kind of investment doesn't get the attention. Like in the industry, at least it hasn't so far. General techies kind of get it, but I haven't seen. So I think I'm learning what can I take from general tech and apply to this space so that I can be a, a meaningful contributor. And that's one of the areas. I don't, looking at, I'm not going to invest in the battery world, right? That, that's an R&D due diligence kind of investment. But it makes no sense to me that we aren't doubling down work to turn our car batteries, our EV batteries, into at least to backup. Or it makes no sense. Now, I get the degradation of the battery, but I know all these things are solvable. And so why hasn't that been a huge focus of the industry? Why aren't we, you know, I have a 90 kilowatt hour battery in my Tesla and the power wall is 13 and a half kilowatt hours, right? So I know there are challenges to make it work, but, but companies like Osiaco, I did not invest in them. I just love that they're drawing attention to this this challenge. Utilities hate islands. You know, that's was a new, a new phrase for me, trying to understand why it's been so hard for local generation transmission, underperformance of cap and trade. I assumed it was working. Obviously it's not anywhere near what people thought it would be in California. I mean, those are some of the, oh, the dependence on government. So that's a, that is, you know, I always had a, some knowledge of it, but you know, when you see that our governor at the stroke of a pen can have such a profound impact on our, at least on the state of California, no gasoline, gas powered cars being sold after 2035, that's a massive change. And, and what if the governor also said, hey, only low methane beef can be sold in California? That's a, that's a wrinkle when we get into maybe later about, I want to hear more about how you're making decisions too, but how we're making decisions like that, what government can do easily to change the game is a new is is a, is new in my decision tree it's not something i'd had to deal with general tech and it's a massive difference it sounds so obvious to people in the space but it was a new learning for me as you i mean given that we have to decarbonize our entire global economy and you know in every geography part of the world every, every industry every sector big companies small companies everything in between. How do you think about sector focus? How do you think about geography focus? Because even if you take any sector, there's applications of software, there's applications of hardware, there's applications of hard tech, there's applications of processes and logistics. And so, yeah, how how are you figuring out? Because you mentioned software that makes the hardware work better, but what about where that's applied? So I'm definitely investing globally, but in companies that are focused on North America, because that's 
a market that I understand. And so it, it's harder for me to evaluate. I got a, I got a pitch the other day on a company focused on the, on the developing world. I just don't know that more. I, today, I don't. I can learn it, but today I don't know how to penetrate that market in the same way that I understand North America. And so down the road, I could see getting excited about that. But but I, I do believe that investing globally makes sense in this space, but I'm still going to focus on companies seeking to make a difference in the U.S. But the, the categories are probably similar to yours, I would think. The circular economy, energy management, supply chain investments of all types, because any efficiency we create in the supply chain obviously has a profound impact. So food, water, goods. I, I'd like to do more sustainable ag. I have to learn more about it. I've done. I've made one investment in a company called Mutral. And also, I think that marketplaces and exchanges will be really interesting, both carbon and energy. And I think there's a lot that I understand there, still a lot more to learn. But if I had to pick, those are the categories that I'm going to focus on out of the gate. And there are also categories that I think I can at least launch with a college understanding. And I mean, you had said that when you headed this way, you really didn't know what you would do. And what I'm hearing from you now is a focus on investing, which is no surprise given that you've been a professional investor for so long. How are you thinking about that investing? Is that investing a tool to facilitate learning and progress your journey? Or is that a financial investment? And have you decided that you're, you know, that investment is the contribution that you have to make over here? Or are you still figuring that out longer term? Yeah. So, I mean, I think right now you're, you're hundred percent right. I'm writing small checks, like 25 K checks in companies. I've made four investments. Hopefully a fifth is going to happen this week. And, uh, and I, I, I'm only, I am investing because I think these companies will do well, both in their impact and their financial return. But I am doing it as much for the learning. And, and I also behave when I invest in these companies. I'm actually behaving like I am a venture investor in ways that the founders like. I'm not just a passive investor. I'm trying to help them get from A to B. And so I do look for the interest in that kind of help. That's the way I was as a venture investor. I've never been passive. I've always been a very hands-on, like an extension of your management team kind of investor. And so I'm doing that now. And I'll keep doing that. And maybe, you know, I can follow in your footsteps and in Q1 actually raise a fund. I think that would be exciting, but I still have a lot to learn both about the industry and and structure and who I might want to work with. I mean, all of that is in the stew. How much time have you spent kind of doing a retro on the Cleantech 1.0 and what happened there? Key learning. I've done, I have read about it. I mean, there's this great MIT article that just came out, which I'm sure you've read. And I see signs of it today. I mean, especially in hardware. I mean, two, there are two hardware companies that I looked at and they're basically seed stage and they just raised capital like they're almost a series B. So there are sectors that scare me that are like that. The software space isn't like that. Like, because, you know, like, as I said, it's still, it's not getting the attention from some of the deeper pocketed investors in, in, in the climate space. So, but I am wary about it. And I, I worry, you know, I don't, it's amazing when a company, you know, as an entrepreneur, you and I both, like, if someone came to us with a term sheet, that was a crazy valuation, it would be amazing to receive that. And we'd probably take it. But the downside is that when it comes time for the next round, you have to really deliver. And that 
it just, we all know hardware is a slog. And so it's just like, what will happen if this next wave of hardware companies, if they can't deliver the kinds of returns to raise the Series B at an ever-increasing valuation? What happens then? So I would say people are smarter, founders are smarter, but there's still some of the trappings of that 1.0 world in the market today. What would you, what do you think? Well, I wasn't around. I, I have tried to garner as much lessons learned through the game of telephone and through reading as I can. I'm still learning. But I, I, w- I would say it, from what I can gather, it seems like when Silicon Valley came in the last time, they really weren't of the opinion that it was the marriage of the Silicon Valley ambition and hubris, hubris and entrepreneurial fire with the deep institutional knowledge and expertise, but it was more like, no, we're going to come in and show everybody how it's done. That's one element. Another element that I've heard is that there's a big, uh, that it's important to have capital type align with the type of investment and that there were certain, that equity capital was trying to trying to fund everything at that time. And it really isn't the best fit for some types of more infrastructure development and so on that might be, you know, better fit for, let's say, project finance. And the last thing is, I mean, we've, Ivan, I'm, I'm sure you have as well, had drilled into your brain that that you want to kind of start small and iterate and don't get too far over your skis. And it seems like back then it was more like, let's skip all those steps and you know, let's let's do the equivalent of color for deep tech, right? Uh, remember color? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, this is anecdotal, but whether this time is different, better or different, worse, it does seem like it is clearly a, a different time. We're in a different place. The, the tools and infrastructure are in a different place. The problem is in a different place. People's awareness of the problem is, is in a different place, et cetera. But, and I also, from what I've seen, while there is an increasing amount of talent coming in from the Valley, which I think is, a, if harnessed properly, is a really good thing, I've seen a certain humbleness from much of that talent in terms of coming in as learners first and understanding the value of expertise, taking the time to build those bridges and cultivate those relationships, starting small, being cautious about how they capitalize the companies. Uh, just more, I would say, maybe less hubris and more intellectual honesty. And that doesn't mean the stuff will work, uh, but but it means that this this is a different shot on goal and a different time. And whether it works or it doesn't, it's where I'm squarely betting. And I feel I, I have nothing but conviction for that bet. I agree. I, I guess the the I'm still the hardware space is is being treated differently and so I, I just I'm still my the jury is out on the hardware forward space because there is a lot of capital required and so what happens is obviously if you need 20 million dollars you don't want to raise at 40 million pre and give away a third of your company right so there's a pressure to raise at a, at a a higher valuation because you need to, you need more and the VCs are willing to give you more. So that's the dynamic. It's not that that necessarily that the companies think that they're worth more. It's like you need $20 million. You want to give up 20, 25% of your company. And so you end up in a valuation that's a lot higher than maybe where the company actually is. So some of that, I think that's more the dynamic that I'm seeing versus anyone thinking that the companies are actually worth that. But I could be wrong. Yeah. What, what- 
a couple trends I've been tracking. Uh, one is that I'm starting to see these more hybrid vehicles emerge that have one arm of equity and one arm of project finance and trying to put them all under one roof. And the other is companies that are foregoing traditional venture capital and going from, let's say, angels or philanthropic capital or that to private equity, whether it be the Warburgs or or some others that, I mean, you're, you're seeing, I mean, monolith materials is, is one that did that and scale microgrids is, is one that did that. And I don't claim to have a solid understanding of how these different asset classes can and should be utilized. But with our little fun writing little checks that is almost structure agnostic, we can maybe experiment in some different categories and, and get that learning that, that can then inform when we're playing with bigger dollars down the road. And so I'm, I'm trying to get that learning, but at the same time, you know, not use this early LP capital as sacrificial lambs for my, my learning process. So it's a balance, but at the same time, if we can kind of get some of these early reps in and get it right, then those early LPs, as they stick with us, stand to make a lot of money in the long term as well. So it's, I don't know, that's a tension that I, that I wrestle with every day, kind of the learning versus the near-term returns. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I, you know, I think your approach makes a ton of sense. And it's exactly what I did before I started Freestyle. I spent two years investing. I had some of my own capital. I invested my own capital over two years and made 21 investments. And then I rolled that into Freestyle. And that was the right path. I think now, likely because I've got investing experience and I have invested in some companies in this space that I'll probably start, and, and I am spending the time right now to really kind of build my knowledge and continue to invest. I'll probably start out with something that, you know, is maybe a little bigger. And I think that I'll be ready for it when I do it. I won't do it before I'm ready, but I think I probably will because what I what I want to learn more about is the particular kind of the the this big bucket that is climate. And but there is a lot of, I mean, I was just going through my decision process with climate. And it's actually almost the same as general tech, right? It's quality of the CEO, size of the market, product market fit. It's like, and then, you know, trying to answer if company does A, B, and C, I can see a billion dollar company and a billion dollar impact, right? So it's, the difference is assessing the impact. That is the main difference. At, at, at Freestyle, Part of what made it interesting is that we always we kept investing in new categories, not just like the what allowed me to invest in healthcare. And I've actually ne- I don't think I've I've only invested in one company that was in the similar space to what I did as a founder. Happened to be Patreon, so it happened it happens to have worked out. But you know I kept learning new industries and using the skills I developed as a general investor in those industries. And so that's why I'm saying I'm at seventh grade right now, and I'm not going to do anything, uh, raise capital until I feel like I'm educated enough to, to not experiment with anyone's money except my own. If you had to guess, I know it's early, but what percentage of your investments once your, as your portfolio gets more established, do you suspect will have founding teams that come from Valley transplants, if you will, versus veterans of working in in these industries. I mean, what I hope happens is that they're paired up, right? So I really that's the win win for everybody. You take like, which is what we look for. So I I kind of don't I don't know how it will play out, but 
you know, in general tech, I, I always try and find like a experienced business person married with a subject matter expert. And that's the winning team. So whether in climate, it's like a researcher, academic, techie married with a business person. That's That to me is a winning combination. It's probably even more true in, in climate. I, I'm trying to think of the of the five investments that I have made now. Three of the five have have had crossover CEOs. CEOs that are coming from the outside in. Yeah, have worked in general tech and have crossed over. And and one of the one of them it's public I can I can share is Sylvia Terra is more of the traditional like OG. But when I met Sylvia Terra, I, I kind of saw that I really liked them and I I felt like they'd be really would benefit from having a general tech investor to lead their seed, which and so I introduced them to USV and USV, even though USV has a climate fund now, Albert's like a general techie and he's perfect to lead that investment in Sylvia Terra. When you think about the increasing number of people from uh, traditional tech uh, that are picking their head up and wanting to move in, in this direction, what gaps do you see? What, what bottlenecks do you see? What is clogging the arteries here and preventing more of that to happen efficiently and effectively? Yeah. So I, there are two, um, I'd love to be able to share who they are. I don't have their permission yet, but there are two ex-Googlers who are jumping into climate. And one of the first ways they're jumping in is they created a database for general techies to start looking at opportunities in climate. And so that's, I think that's that I hope that I can convince them to blow that up. And so as a way for all of us to start funneling, general techies into this kind of more dedicated pipeline. The hardest part is that I'll get DMs from people and they'll just say, I'm interested, I'm interested, but I don't know how to even begin, like how to even find, how to evaluate an opportunity at a climate-oriented company. It's just the very beginning. Once they're in the process and they're being interviewed, I could see that changing, but right now they just don't even know how to begin. So I have people that don't know me who, who are asking me for help. They don't know anybody who, who is working in the space. And I think as we start to have more of those folks jump, then they'll pull their friends in and that'll make it easier. But right now we're just in the very beginning. We need to seed it. And if you think about you a few months ago or, or let's say less experienced yous who are maybe picking their head up but don't have as much of a brand or widespread relationships or or things like that, what do you wish was there for you or what do you think would be beneficial for those people to more effectively start to build those bridges? Uh, listen to MCJ. <laughs> Seriously, listen to, listen to read, listen to podcasts. They're, yours is, you have such a variety of people on it that if someone were to follow, you know, listen to what your, your interviews, I think they would learn a lot and they would make it easier to know where to begin. It's, once you give someone a push, a little push, and they can start finding the channels to learn, I think most people who work in tech are self-starting. And so I think they'll, but it's that initial seeding them with, okay, just listen to MCJ every week or subscribe to newsletters A, B, and C. Follow the right people on Twitter who are talking about climate and startups. And, but that initial push is what's needed. They don't even know MCJ exists. Most general techies don't know. Even though, you can't, even though you're one of them and one of us. What about that matching process that you mentioned before about pairing the expertise with the, with the new kind of business or founding DNA? 
coming in. Are are you seeing those matches happen effectively? And is there is there anything that you could envision would help that happen more effectively at scale? Yeah, that's a great, great question because it's very manual right now. I'm trying to think who would be the right, who would be the right. So maybe that's something that you should do. Seriously, you're way further along than I am. You've got this audience. I'm sure the two Googlers would love to talk to you. And maybe that's you getting engaged with them because they have done the technical heavy lifting. Maybe that's the way to do it and figuring out how you can start making connections within your very wide network. Maybe you're, maybe actually, you know, I hadn't thought of this, but maybe you're the one who conceded. it. Yeah. One of the things I've been finding is there's so many things like that, that it's like, why isn't someone doing this and, and we could do this kind of thing that, that what we desperately need to do is focus. Because I agree, we could easily do that. I could also go to a whiteboard right now with you right. and in half an hour we could brainstorm 50 other things like that. That's one of the things I'm so excited about professionally and in terms of our ability to bring about change is that yeah. it is kind of open road, if you will, but that can also be paralyzing as well. Uh, it's easy to spread yourself too thin and then just kind of be mediocre at everything. It's it's also finding allies willing to do the work, like the actual doers. Who and, and I think these two, they're doers, and so that's why they've already done. <laughs> they've started the process. They just don't have the connections, enough connections in the climate. But they're not just talking about it; they're doing it. So it might be that they are able to kind of fulfill the heavy lifting, you know, on the tech side, while we're all just directing people, you know, to the platform. I would love to talk more about that. We could have a whole you know, episode just on that. Uh, there, I do want to come back to one thing, though. So you talked about at some point having a fund and at some point having it a, a bigger fund, given kind of what you've done and what you know how to do and how you think and what gets you excited. But one question that I've got for you is, assuming apples to apples, same dollar amount as, as Freestyle, let's say, from what you can piece together so far with the caveat that I know you're early what would you do the same with this kind of fund and and what would be different? And that could be in terms of structure, that could be in terms of return expectations, that could be in terms of LP makeup, that could be in terms of anything of sector focus, of stage, of you you, you tell me, but I, I'm just curious from what you've been able to piece together so far, clean slate, but focused in this area, what does that look like? You know, the the thing that when you're starting out, even though I've done four funds, but this is new, is the thing that people don't like to say is that you like who likes you. You have to have some of that. You're starting out, so you... But I also want more corporate. So at Freestyle, we never we don't have any corporate LPs. They're all foundations or funds of funds. And I want more corporates involved who are able to help evaluate what, you know, tell us what they're interested in and then be customers. I think that's important. I think it would also go better with the size of the fund and also the stage. I, I don't think, I think that whatever I do will bleed into seed, but I believe it'll be more of a series A fund. And that's mainly because series A climate feels like seed general tech in terms of what's been accomplished by the time the series A has been raised. So I, there is greater, because there are more variables in a climate startup, there's greater risk earlier on. And so I think that the smartest place for me to enter is the series A. And so I think that implies a bit of a larger fund and maybe some different types of LPs. Is climate a sector? We need a different name for it because 
if I were to say to like an OG climate investor, hey, um, one of the companies I invested in is called Arrive Outdoors, and they let you rent gear and apparel for the outdoors, skiing, camping. They're doing a great job. They're the exclusive for the National Park Service, and they have all these huge retail deals. And their mission is to have five different people use the same product. So that's, that is climate, but it doesn't fall under most OG definitions of climate. So we need a new phrase to describe what it is that we're doing. I think it's what I'm going to be doing. And I think what you're doing also. And so I don't know. So to answer your question, I actually, it, it probably, the traditional definition of climate tech is very different than what I see myself doing and what I see a lot of other folks doing that are jumping in. And so we kind of need a new definition that's more inclusive. Any contenders that you're chewing on that you want to give us a teaser about? <laughs> no, you know, I, I customer development, you'll get some feedback. I know, I know, I don't. I, <laughs> I actually want, I want, you know, let's get the community thinking about it. I, I don't have it. I wish I had it. I just, I think I might have a name for what, for what I'm doing, but. I guess I could share that. I'm, I'm chewing on a lots of different names, but but I don't have a I don't have a great phrase because one I don't... name for the fund or a name for the name for the category for the fund. <laughs> no one's going to twist your arm, but but my ears definitely perked up. Well, I, I you know I have the URL, so I'm not worried about somebody taking it. Maybe we'll end with that. Maybe we'll end with that. But I'm not, I haven't been in this space long enough to really feel qualified to come up with the name for what we're all doing because I've been in it for a few months, but. I think that we should try and come up with a name that we all that we can embrace. Those of us that are that aren't just investing in what is what has been known as climate tech or uh, just clean energy. I think there's we need a more inclusive name. And I heard you say that the that the ecosystem's largely been coming and and glad for the help. Do you worry at all coming in about stepping on the toes of the people that have been spending their whole careers working in this area? You know, in some ways, it's like I we're we're all needed. We really are all needed, and I have uh, I'm I'm learning from many of these folks. So I'm humble in my gratitude, and I, I I will have a lot to learn for a long time to come. So I I don't I definitely don't feel like I know more. So I know less. So I don't worry about that from me. Maybe from maybe it's a fair concern from some of the bigger VCs that are jumping in. Maybe. I really view them because they're so much more knowledgeable about the the climate space than I am. I view them as allies versus, and in fact, when when let's say I do have a fund, I actually will my uh, if I'm able to uncover companies that that some of those folks want to invest in, I'll remember how kind they were to me and and try and be inclusive and, and do all the things that you would hope we would do, because I wouldn't like where I am right now without them. So maybe uh, a, a little bit of rapid fire, if, if I may. Yes. As you're thinking about the fund or, or even in your angel capacity to the extent that it might translate over to, to when you have a fund, but time horizon expectations, same as a traditional tech fund, longer, shorter? 10 years. 10-year fund. So same. Same. Capital efficiency, companies that might require a lot of capital over time. Is that okay? Uh, 50% more. Project finance, if they require project finance to, uh, to scale, is that a deal breaker? I'm fine with that. I've invested in companies like that before and general tech. Science risk. 
<laughs> stay, uh, stay away. Grant, do you think it's smart for these kinds of companies? And obviously these kinds of companies depends what you mean by these, but if, if a company were to pursue grants, whether it be from the government or, or otherwise in parallel to their equity funding, does, does that excite you, scare you? Something in between? Take free money all day long. That was probably the bulk of my questions. I feel like I'm missing some, but I think that gives me a decent flavor for what kinds of things get you excited. I have a question for you. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so I have a couple. Give me your take on the exodus. I saw you tweeted about it. Are you supportive, judgmental, neutral exodus from the Bay Area? What's your take on it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think people should live where they want to live, first of all. So I would never judge if someone makes a life decision and determines that they're, that for them and their family, they would have a better path somewhere else. It's not like I don't get territory. Like if someone leaves Boston back when the Bay Area was like unparalleled as the be all end all and people would leave Boston, there were some people here that would get really kind of snippy about it. And if anything, I would get snippy about the fact that we don't give people a more compelling reason to stay, but it wouldn't be on them for choosing to build their company somewhere else. Yeah, so no no bitterness in in that regard. I think, yes, like some of the pettiness on either side of the issue is stupid. I think some of the, I think Twitter's during this pandemic has been enlightening in terms of helping get to know some people's full selves and maybe some people that maybe over the prior decade or two, uh, you know, as a young buck growing up in tech, I might've put on a pedestal. Like I actually realized that they kind of suck. So that's been helpful in that regard, just to kind of like how athletes used to only talk through their spokespeople kind of thing. And now, now they have their own platform and they can say whatever they want for better, or for worse. Well, text the same way. And then in, in terms of how it all plays out, it's like, it's kind of like, who cares? Like there, there's going to be some people that prefer the in-person. There's going to be some kinds of businesses that are more important to be built in person. And for those they should have that ability and and there'll be some that are more conducive to d- distributed and and they should have that ability. But to say that the reliance on in-person is not going to erode, I don't know how someone could make that argument. It's not going to erode to zero, but of course it's going to erode because digital is becoming better. Right. And, and, uh, and specifically, though, the folks that are leaving to avoid taxes. Right now, we've got, because of COVID, we're, we're at a budget challenge in California and I don't know. I don't know whether taxes are going to increase here or not. But if they do, because it's needed to get back to normal for a few years, and when folks with a ton of money leave because of taxes, I have a harder time with that because they can do whatever they want. But it's like when the market treated you well and you took advantage of it as you should as an entrepreneur, it was great. And now that the state needs your help to get through the budget to leave. I, I just, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Well, I'm going to say that, that those are, pro- again, everyone's situation is different. So I'm not going to judge one person making that decision. I don't know everything going on in their world and, and everything else, but there are, there is like some element of people who, who just want the government to stay out of their way and to stay out of everybody's way. And they don't want to help the government get in anyone's way. And they see things like, making sure that like collective good is okay with some minimum baseline as very in the way. And they probably attribute too much of their success to their own talents and ability and not enough of their success to factors that had nothing to do with them at all. Yeah. I, that just doesn't, it's a bummer, especially because what do they need more money for? They don't even need, it's just going to mess them up. 
it's it's not like beyond a certain point it doesn't actually not only does it not do any good but it actually does like harm for for you and for the generations that come after you so why like i just i, I have a hard time understanding it yeah again i i i'm not going to cast stones because i'm not every everyone's got different circumstances of which i'm not i'm not privy but but i i feel like you can look out for people especially in a time when so many are hurting without it being some like so- socialist conspiracy yeah no it's a, it's a hot hot a hot subject right now i mean especially right now yeah and i'm a capitalist too like the socialists think i'm a capitalist and the capitalists think i'm a socialist so uh, <laughs> yeah i don't it's, it's kind of yeah damned if you do and damned if you don't i guess yeah uh, and the, I guess last thing is Miami is, I think you tweeted that Florida is doomed, something like that. Tell me more about that and about where that came from. Yeah. Well, I'm no expert on on resiliency and adaptation and extreme heat and floodwaters and extreme events and wildfires. And I, uh, I'm learning, but I'm like you, I, I, I don't, I mean, and plus I'm such a generalist that I don't, I don't have mastery or expertise anywhere. But the same way that people say we need to price carbon because we need to price externality because our whole economy is built without giving any credence to staying in harmony with the planet that we rely on to support human and, and other forms of life, I feel like that same gap is in most people's decision processes. Like They don't make decisions th- through the lens of thinking about that stuff. And one of them is, where should I live? Because every, when everyone talks about Florida the next Silicon Valley, well- a lot of the people closest to adaptation and resiliency and things like that, I don't think they would be moving their families to Florida anytime soon. And and you would have to wonder wonder why that is. Are they paranoid or or is there something to I'm that? with you? I, I don't get it. Like when you when I go to Miami where my parents live and I see how many cranes are are engaged in Miami Beach, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I, I don't understand what they're seeing that I'm not. I think it's just inertia, like momentum. They just can't the system can't be stopped, even though it makes no climate sense to continue to build well, it's incent- That's one of the things I've been learning about. It's incentives because even the insurance industry, it's like the, the life cycle of those insurance payments or whatever. It's like by the time the shit actually hits the fan, you know, it's, it's even not only does the, is it not the company's worry, but it's like there's going to be different people in those seats. So that's where I get really suspect with the net zero commitments, too, because it's like by 2030, by 2050, it's like that person just wants to have a job in 2021. Right, right. You know, the whole the whole systemic you know, we all we're all under learning about systemic racism. We're all learning about that. And I think over the last couple of years, we've been educated. But the systemic climate stuff is fascinating to me because the whole system is geared towards recovery, not prevention. The insurance industry, federal funds, all of it is geared towards, especially out here in wildfires, a fraction of it goes to prevention. And that we may have $50 billion in in expenditure they should in recovery. What if we just took 20% of that and focused on prevention? But that would require that insurance industries, op- the insurance industry operates differently, that the federal government operates differently, that we're actually, we can go counter to what is human. Humans, we, we want instant gratification. We'd have to change that. Like the healthcare industry is dealing with this too. How do we get more capital focused on prevention, which would include focusing on increasing our efforts to battle climate change today, even though we won't see the benefits till down the road. 
it's just changing our whole mindset towards the space. And that's going to take time. Yeah. And you can, you can see it because it's like, well, we should build this thing to be resilient, but it'll cost 30% more. It's like, but we need to because of climate. What about that storm two years ago? Well, that was a, f- a 500 year storm. It's like, well, we've had out of the six 500 year storms we've had in history, four of them have been in the last 24 months. But just psychologically, it's like, no, 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 that's a 500 year storm. So why would we worry about it? Why would we plan for it? No, it's still called a 500 year storm, but the climate is changing. There's just, there's a disconnect between the realities and the kind of stated facts that we've been conditioned to believe. And then people don't want to hear things that, you know, that go against their self-interest. Yeah, we suck at ROI. We do when it comes to this stuff. We got to get better at it. Yeah, well, th- well, this has been an amazing discussion. I feel like in a, in a year or two, we should we should maybe do another check-in and, and see where we both are. But before I let you go, Josh, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or any parting words for listeners? I just think that, you know, and you didn't, we, and I, we have never had a discussion about this, but I do want to say thank you for bridging the gap between these other general tech and climate and and pulling more and more of us into this whole movement. And I, I really have gratitude towards you and appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, likewise, I'm really excited to see what you end up doing. I have no doubt it will be ambitious and impactful and and uh, I, I wouldn't be a fellow investor. I'm a newbie, unlike you, if I didn't say uh, we should find some deals to do together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your lips. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Take care. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.